1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Frezza. Uh, he is the Technology and Entrepreneurship Fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute based in Washington. Uh, he's based in Massachusetts. Uh, welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks so much, uh, Jordan. Happy to be here. Let's just start with your background a little bit. You've done a lot of different things over the years, but just give people a sense of your background before you got to where you are now.
3: Sure, it's been an interesting—it's uh, been an interesting 35, 40 years. Yeah, I'm—I'm I'm, uh, I'm a techie. I'm a sort of a standard issue MIT double E. I was fortunate enough to graduate uh, with an electrical engineering degree just at the time the telecom revolution was taking off. The Bell System was being uh, divested, and we got a 20-year run of. Fantastic innovation, and everybody, of course, now enjoys the fruits of, of all that development. Uh, and during that time, I was an engineer, a manager, at marketing business developer. Had a couple of startups, did some consulting, uh, worked on all sorts of interesting projects from cable modem to the uh, the great great granddaddy, of the BlackBerry. I was very involved in uh, in wireless in the in the 80s and 90s. In uh, the late 90s, I joined a venture capital firm, uh, headquartered out of Pittsburgh, doing early-stage technology development. For the past 15 years, I've been helping uh, uh, early-stage companies bring products to market, build their businesses, and hopefully get those businesses sold. Uh, We've had a fantastic run in the early years. I have to tell you, the last five or six years have been extraordinarily painful Been very, very difficult times in the venture industry. Uh, I am uh, in the process of uh, slowly winding down out of that partnership. I'm still on four boards until I get those companies sold. Uh, I've still got responsibilities there. But I have been ramping up my writing and speaking, uh, beginning with uh, columns of Milk Clear Markets. Uh, several years ago, I added Forbes, Huffington Post, and BioIT World. And along the way, uh, a friend and mentor named Richard Rod, who was very active in the Reagan administration, first boots on the ground in Eastern Europe, uh, sort of ramping up uh, uh, capitalism there, convinced me to join a Washington-based think tank. And I normally am allergic to Washington. I try to avoid it as much as possible. Uh, but he took me by the hand, and I made the rounds of the usual suspects. I've been a, a, a supporter and fan of the Cato Institute for many years, very large organization. Ended up developing a relationship with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, which is a, a libertarian, conservative free market think tank. It's a not-for-profit. Uh, what I liked about them is they focus strictly on economics and regulatory relief. They don't do culture wars and they don't do foreign policy, which are two areas that tend to be fraught with peril. Uh, and so I work with them to, the way I say it, slow down the rate at which things are getting worse uh, by trying to help people understand what is happening around us Uh, as we watch both the monetary system come apart, the fiscal system come apart, we watch democracy begin to break down, and we watch our innovation economy begin to stall. These are all things that if anyone uh, is paying attention, they should be terrified about, Uh, and yet we get this steady dose of happy days are here again from the media, And, and I think that's something that people need to be very cautious about.
2: Very good. We're going to get into this in some great detail here about uh, your view and, and also the uh, economic implications, the investment implications of, of uh, uh-huh. what people should be doing uh, based on this. Let's kind of start uh, with the kind of political situation. Uh, you say that democracy is, is uh, broken. Um, so explain why you think democracy is, is broken and what the impact is that, of that on the economy.
3: Sure, sure. You know, recall, and, and, you know, this should be very familiar to your, to your listeners, although alien to people who only get their information by going to public school. We were not founded as a democracy. We were founded as a republic, uh, of strictly enumerated powers, a limited government that had a list of 18 powers listed in Section uh, 1, Article 8 of the Constitution, beyond which the federal government was not supposed to wander. Uh, along with a Bill of Rights that made it very clear that there were certain rights that the people had that could never be taken away by any laws uh, made by Congress. Uh, It's taken a couple hundred years, but we have evolved over that time through a series of crises. Every crisis crisis is an opportunity for the government to expand its powers. And we're now in a stage where the Constitution is pretty much a dead letter and we have a majoritarian democracy. The majority can ask for and get the government to deliver anything it wants. And this sounds like a utopia for some, uh, but it's led to two calamities. One is uh, we've got two entrenched political parties uh, which spend all of their time pandering to their base, trying to figure out who they could give goodies to. And this has resulted in an uh, eternal gridlock in Washington, and so that, uh, you know, the, the, the Congress has now fallen in repute below used car dealers in just about every poll you've ever seen. This is not to say anything bad about used car dealers. I've bought used cars before. Uh, but Congress has become dysfunctional. The, the executive branch has become uh, overreaching and, uh, gridlock is actually working the way it's supposed to. The Constitution was designed for the government to freeze up if we didn't have consensus. What the founding fathers missed out on is that the regulatory state would be built uh, to run on autopilot, so we now have regulatory agencies that are spitting out thousands and thousands of rules that are buying down the economy. We've got an entitlement program that's on autopilot, so even if Congress doesn't act, most of the budget continues to grow on its own, uh, for which there is no money to pay. And we have a monetary authority that's run by a, uh, a Princeton professor who's gone mad printing money. And all of these things are are, are now operating open loop. And so when I say democracy is broken, our ability to bring our fiscal situation, our monetary situation, and our regulatory situation under control so we can restore some growth to our economy, um, which we've had in our lifetimes. If you remember, we've had a pretty good run uh, from the early 80s till till about 2001. We had a pretty good run. Uh, We outran most of our problems by outgrowing them, and, and we've broken that. And and uh, and as a result, we're, we're heading towards uh, multiple cliffs right now, and the, the political system just can't seem to deal with them.
2: In the past, when we've had a situation like this, uh, and there are crises, I mean, for example, in 2008 you had a crisis, and then Congress moved pretty fast. So people would say uh, there'll be another crisis, but gridlock will be melted at that point, and they'll finally agree on what to do. Is, is that the solution, is just to have one crisis after another to go overcome well, gridlock?
3: No, the, the, if look at the details, they moved pretty fast and did all the wrong things. Um, instead of letting the, 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 the speculators who had, uh, who had uh, uh, created a disaster in, in the mortgage market and in, in the related markets uh, built on top of it, and instead of letting them suffer their lumps, uh, they doubled down, uh, created a tremendous moral hazard whereby the bankers continue to run out of control, and turn the money spigots on this was not a solution this papered over the problem and, and only stood to put it off and make it worse and if you track backwards this is a series of steps that began unwinding all the way back under greenspan greenspan decided for whatever reason that y2k was a threat to the economy he printed all sorts of extra money at the time went to a, to a loose monetary policy it found its way into the internet bubble um, the internet bubble popped, which it needed to pop. I mean, the, the, the valuations of the market had gotten completely ridiculous. Not that they weren't good companies. there were good companies. But there were also a lot of bad companies that had attracted capital. And instead of letting the, the, the malinvestment work its way out, we went back to an easy money policy, uh, which did nothing except fuel the real estate bubble. And so every time we've gone in with these temporary patches, when, when the two parties are so frightened uh, that they pretty much hand the keys to whoever has the loudest voice. They've only served to make things worse. They haven't solved any of these problems. And meanwhile, the entitlement time bomb has been growing. You know, the baby boomer generation, my generation, is retiring now. You look at the numbers in terms of supporting just basic Social Security and Medicare, and the money's not there. Uh, there, 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 there are... are many efforts that are made to try to address the problem, all of which are shot down in, 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 the, uh, in, in the Donnie book that occurs uh, in Congress every time someone tries to touch those entitlements. And so all of that's happening in the background. Even as our economy has stopped growing, our, our money balloons out of control, uh, we're being lied to about inflation, uh, and we can get onto that later in the show, because inflation is around us. Anybody that goes to the supermarket or buys gasoline knows that that's the case. And, uh, and counting on these guys to come together and do something sensible is an invitation for them to hand power to, you know, what's historically called the man on the horse. Uh, and that's what I fear, that things are, things going to reach such a, a state of, uh, of chaos, uh, when, when, when the euro goes down, when the markets collapse behind it, uh, when all of that washes over here, when the derivatives pyramid they built comes crashing down, that they'll hand power to a man on a horse. And, by the, uh, and by actually, the man on the horse, you
2: mean a fascist or some kind of a... Fascist. A fascist,
3: uh, you know, yeah. a, fascist uh, a Napoleon, a, a, a leader who claims he has the answer, a demagogue. Uh, and then it's game over. At that point, you now, you now go into a, an economy that is uh, totally essentially planned. Uh, you'll see capital flight. Um, you'll see the end of innovation. We're already seeing elements of this already. Look at what's happening in the healthcare industry with innovation. Uh, it's being stamped out. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's very complacent to say, oh, these politicians will get their act
2: together when the next crisis rolls around. Not if each one keeps getting worse. So, some would argue that what's happening in Europe now is uh, responding to what you're saying. Words, they, are, they are imposing some pretty strict austerity and it's causing an awful lot of pain. You're saying in the United States we don't in, impose austerity, we just have more money flowing and keep the, the programs going. So is, is Europe the solution to have dramatic austerity and cut things off the way they're doing it
3: well let's be careful about what we call austerity uh, a, a reduction in the rate of growth is not a cut
2: um, the, the the
3: budgets across the European with the exception of Greece the budgets across the European growing Union have been growing they have not uh, resorted quite as much to the printing press as we have but that's because they've been benefiting from our printing you know, half the money that Bernanke's printing is sitting on the balance sheets of foreign banks if people pay any attention uh, so we're doing our share to pop up the situation over there. They're not doing anything to loosen up their labor markets, which is where the, a lot of the problems are. You know, they've got to improve and increase productivity, not decrease it. So they're, they're, they're in a state of stagnation now, a zero growth stagnation. Um, and just trying to keep the, you know, keep the contraption rolling forward until one of the pigs goes keeling over, which is, it, which is just a matter of time. And you look at Greece in the last few days, once again, they're doing a kabuki dance, uh, waving away all the promises they've made in the past to to, uh, to not need another bailout. And another bailout is going to be forthcoming. Sooner or later, the German taxpayers are going to get tired of it. Sooner or later, Greece is going to have to go back to the drachma, which is actually the best thing that can happen to the people of Greece is to go back to the drachma and, and get the yoke of the euro out from around their necks. They might have some hope of recovering uh, if they do that. And that's going to cause a tremendous ripple effect. Uh, you know, across world economies, across markets and stock markets, we're going to feel that too. Um, so, no, the answer is not Europe. The answer is not so-called austerity. Um, you know, we can get later into the program what the answers are, but the answers are, are are going to be painful, and nobody wants to hear them.
2: Okay, very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest today is Bill Frezza. Uh, he is a technology uh, and entrepreneurship fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, based in Washington.
0: Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level.
5: The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional banker's hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Joke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in
1: business talk.
4: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host.
2: My guest this hour is Bill Frezza. He is the Fellow in Technology and Entrepreneurship at the Competitive Enterprise Institute based in Washington. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thanks, thanks. We talked about the democracy situation and why gridlock and all of that, but let's get into the financial markets a little bit here. So you've got the Federal Reserve doing this massive quantitative easing uh, process, which has made Wall Street very happy because stocks are doing doing very well. Um, you've had this big bailout of the banks, so the banks are in fantastic shape right now. Um, and what what could go wrong? I mean, it sounds like an ideal situation. That's why this, the markets have been doing so well. Yeah.
3: Well, the idea that the banks are in fantastic shape is, in, is an illusion, and, 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 and like all illusions, it's going to uh, create a day of reckoning. You know, if you look at, uh, as you go, you roll, roll the clock back a little bit about what the troubles we've had in the last decade. You know, part of it is, is due to the financialization of everything. We've created these tremendous uh, economic imbalances by allowing the, the financial industry, the banking industry, to grow out of all historical proportion. Uh, compared to other pieces of the economy, up into the teens, double digits in terms of, in terms of the, uh, part of the portion of the GDP it's generating, which is just absolutely unprecedented. And you ask yourself, my lord, what, what created these imbalances and, and, uh, and, and, what are the consequences? And part of it is globalization. And of course, there's nothing wrong with, um, uh, uh, uh markets efficiently putting capital to use. That's what capitalism is all about. You want, you want, the, the, the investment to go to, uh, to, to ventures in which you're gonna get the most return uh, for the investors and for society. That's where you get growth, that's where you get the industrial revolution, that's where you get the PC revolution. All of those are good things. What's happened though is that a good portion of the financial industry has become nothing but a giant gambling casino. It's, it's uh, larger and larger portions of the money are not going into income producing assets, but they're going into bets. Uh, bets in the form of, of complex synthetic derivatives, much of which is happening in the so-called shadow banking industry, uh, so it's not even visible
2: to, uh, to, to a lot of us. And Maybe you should describe the shadow banking industry. I mean, sure. part of Dodd-Frank was supposedly making uh, these exchanges where derivatives would be transparent to everybody, so they say they well, basically outlawed the shadow market.
3: Yeah, you know, good luck. Asking, asking the folks who put Dodd-Frank together uh, to police the the, the financial industry is, is, is you know, it's like asking Bozo the Clown to go after Gordon Gecko. I mean, there's just such an imbalance of, of, of knowledge of interest of brains between those two that it's that it, it's no contest and the real problem is That it's something called regulatory capture you see this in just about every industry where an industry is very heavily regulated It actually ends up being the insiders in that industry who occupy most of the key positions in the regulatory bureaucracy and if you look at what's happened with the two big-to-fail banks, you've just about eliminated all the boundaries between the banks, the, the, you know, the, the, the Morgan Stanley's, the Goldman Sachs, the J.P. Morgan's, the Bank of America, the Citibank. You've eliminated the, the boundary between them, the Federal Reserve, and, and uh, the Treasury Department. You've, you've uh, completely intimidated uh, legislators who are clueless about how the, how the system works, uh, because they're afraid that if they make a mistake, they'll bring the system down and they'll create these, uh, these you know, these, this, this systemic risk. So, so you're saying really that's happen. the
2: wrong thing. You're saying that's the wrong thing. You should you're have big control. banks fail.
3: You, you, you can't control this with regulation. You have to control it with market discipline. Banks have to fail. Banks are supposed to fail. And when we prop them up, we only create more danger for everyone.
2: Well, we I saw that agree. happen with Lehman Brothers. I mean, Lehman Brothers did fail and almost brought down the world economy. So that was a you good what,
3: thing. And, that, and, and it's an illusion that it brought down the world economy. You know, it would have froze up the money markets. We should have let people work things out through bankruptcy by forcing liquidity in the system, by making good at 100 cents on the dollar on all the derivative bets that people have played through AIG. All we did was encourage these folks to come back and do more of it. And so you a, think it would have been
2: better... Not to have bailed out AIG, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Take take uh, our
3: medicine. We should, like the, like, the, like the folks in Iceland did, take our medicine. We would have had a deep, sharp, ugly, painful recession, and we would have bounced back, and people would have would learned their lesson. We'd have, we would have not seen all this money go back into the casinos the way it is now, and we wouldn't be enduring what, what is going to be the the, the the mother of all bubbles when, when we're in now, Pops.
2: I mean, some would say, say that this anything. is what happened in Japan, that Japan didn't bail things out, and they've had a 20-year no, deflationary right. uh, you know, d- depression, basically. It's a mess. And, and, central,
3: central planning doesn't work. With, you know, it, whether it's fascist or communist or socialist or, or progressive, we have proved over and over again that central planning does not work. Only market forces work. These people have to be exposed to their own errors. When they make mistakes, they need to go out of business, they need to lose their jobs, and people who invested in those banks need to lose all their money. And that's the only discipline that makes markets work. And, and, and you say to yourself, well, we have to have deposit insurance. But deposit insurance is a double-edged sword because it causes people to stop caring where they put their money. And it rewards the person, who's, the bank who's out there with the most reckless promises.
2: And that's what yeah. happened. So this is what happened with the, the savings and loan crisis Absolutely in the 80s, is that yeah, people we, were putting... You know, putting when I was
3: through this, we watched all this happen before
2: yeah. in, in,
3: in the savings and loan crisis. Now we're seeing with the too-big-to-fail banks... Um, we have cre- we've created this I- I- incredible quadrillion-dollar pyramid of synthetic derivatives. I don't think people understand how big this pyramid is. I mean, a, trillion, a billion dollars used to be a lot of money when I was a kid. Now people talk about a trillion dollars. There are a quadrillion dollars of synthetic derivatives outstanding, which are nothing but bets stacked against each other.
2: Now, so explain know, how, really how, now. That, how, how could that be unraveled and what would that look like if, uh, say, there's counterparty risk and the derivatives right. aren't, uh, you know, f- fulfilled.
3: The, pro- the problem is notionally all this gets unraveled in an orderly manner, except what we saw before, exactly what happened in 2000 and 2008, because the collateral underlying all of these bets has been what's called hyperhypothecated. So I, provide, I, I do a, a swap, and I provide collateral to a counterparty. That counterparty, who you would think would be holding closely to that collateral claim it in case the bet goes bad, now hypothecates or provides that as collateral in another transaction to a third party, who then provides that as collateral in another transaction to a fourth party. So you get these long collateral chains underneath this quadrillion dollars worth of bets. No one's sure even where these uh, most of these uh, uh, contracts are bespoke. So they're they're not doing exchange. They're not standard contracts. They all have to be adjudicated. In in case of a bankruptcy, the bankruptcy laws in different countries are different. And a perfect example of what's going to happen is what happened to the poor account holders at MF Global. I mean, if you look at John Carzine, his bets didn't actually go bad. He died from a capital – he died from a a, – you know, when when he had a margin call. All right, The market moved against him. He had a margin call. He didn't have a liquidity. He dipped into his, uh, uh, his funds swooped them out of the New York branch to the London branch of J.P. Morgan until the night. And the reason he did that is that the hypothecation rules are different in London than they are in New York. And so what happened is as soon as that money landed in, in London, it got seized by all the counterparties. Where's the money? Well, the counterparties are holding on to the money until the bets unwind. Eventually, the bets unwound. Eventually, people got back 92 cents on the dollar. Lawyers ate up a bunch of it. But the, the account holders were, 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 were out the use of their money for two years. Now, imagine so what, multiplying that by a 1,000. Yeah, I mean, say this happens
2: eight. at Citibank or Bank of America, J.P. Morgan. What would that do to the world economy if that happens?
3: Oh, it freezes up everything. It freezes up commercial paper. It, everybody goes to ground, and all they care about is hard assets. That's, that's what happens if you don't let – financial uh, uh, players fail individually, they fail together. I mean, imagine, imagine any other industry. I mean, in the computer industry, the semiconductor industry, we have failures all the time. One company goes down, so what? Imagine if you arrange it so that every company failed at the same time. Imagine if every food company failed at the same time. How much fun that would be. Imagine if every every uh, transportation company failed at the same time. Why have we arranged it so that every financial company it fails at the same time, instead of letting them fail asynchronously. That's what we've done by trying to protect them from failure. So and, and you, you're saying Dodd-Frank
2: should have been written differently uh, so that you, you did allow failure one at a time? Because they talk about these systemic risks and these uh, very important banks that have to be regulated so they don't bring the entire system down. That was f- flawed, you're saying?
3: Absolutely. Dodd-Frank is part of the
2: problem. You know, all it does is herd these,
3: herd these banks into large and large emerges. You know, in 2012, there was a single new bank charter let. I don't think that's happened in the history of the country. There wasn't a single startup. If any business needs a startup, it's the banks. Somebody needs to come along and do things differently. We've completely stuffed it out. The, the, the regulatory burden is so large now that only the biggest banks can support it. And they love it. Believe me, banks love, these big banks love regulation. They love it, but, you know, because it, it snuffs out all the competition. So we're mm-hmm. down to six of them now. All right? and, and, and the same thing happened in accounting. You know, look what happened in the accounting industry. It used to be the big eight, then the big six, then the big four. All this regulation causes consolidation, and all it does is synchronize failure.
2: So what are the investment implications of this? Uh, when all of what you're talking about happens and the quadrillion dollars in, in uh, derivatives starts unwinding, what, what are the, how would one defend yourself against that now?
3: Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm in the mattress. I pulled. I pulled the trigger end of March. I mean, I was a little early. I said to myself, you know what? I I know I'm going to miss the peak. I don't care if I miss the peak. It's it's fine. I'm at the age now, 58 years old. I can't afford a 40% correction in my portfolio. I just can't. So I'm out. I'm completely out. I mean, and and you know, I'd love I'd love to be I'd love to literally be in cash. Except you know, it's pretty awkward to be sitting on that much cash. And so. You ask yourself, where do you park it? Well, you know, you could, you could divide it up into $250,000 allotments and put each in a different FDIC-insured account and then hope one of those banks doesn't get all locked up. I mean, I, you know, I, I, personally, I went into a short-term tip fund, which I've lost a couple percent since I made my decision. Fine, I don't mind losing 2%. I mean, if they don't, if they don't pay up on T-bills, we're all dead anyway. Money loses its meaning. And so, to me, that was the port in the storm. And I'm going to sit there until the until this passes through and then the problem becomes: How do you protect yourself from hyperinflation? That's, if you wanted to be more about aggressive
2: that. about, though, would you do active shorting of big banks, or if you wanted to make money instead of just hide, how would you yeah. handle uh, if your, I have, your scenario?
3: If I, I had the courage, I'd do two things: I'd be out playing shorts, and I'd be buying gold coins. But I, I'm, so, I, I just, you know, my entire career has been on the technology front. I take risks every day with these companies. I can't be sitting in front of a computer terminal watching stock prices. It's not in my nature. That's a game for professionals. You know, so, amateurs so, get into that game. They get wiped out. But, yeah, if I were, if I were a professional, I'd be out playing shorts right
2: now. So why would you be in gold coins if the derivatives unravel? How is having gold coins in your backyard going to save you? Two ways. One,
3: you know, if, if, if the, if the monetary system really unravels and I've got 10-ounce gold eagles, I can buy groceries with the damn things. Don't you laugh, but, you know, I, I live in a city – uh, I want to have something that I can use as a medium of exchange. The second thing is, what happens next after they put this thing back together is hyperinflation. And now I, now I, when I, when I, my first mortgage was 18%, back when Jimmy Carter was, was president. 18%, people think about, think about that now, an 80% mortgage, right? And we were seeing 16% in, inflation at the time. The Weimar Republic, if you go look at the, you know, the, one of the famous hyperinflations in history, you go look at the graph for inflation at at, in the Weimar Republic. It actually wasn't too bad until right before the end. I mean, it, and, and then it, it, it hit this, it hit this uh, uh, inflection point, and it went from eighteen percent to thousands of percent. People who think that that can't happen are fooling themselves. That can happen.
2: That can I mean, everybody's saying we have no inflation here. now, inflation. They want more inflation. They're saying it's too well, low.
3: It, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, they're lying. Inflation. The correct inflation right now is probably around six or seven percent. Go to shadow stats. You probably talk to your listeners about shadow stats. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a website that keeps track of un, uh, undoctored statistics, uh, both for inflation and for the unemployment rate. Uh, We're being be, be fed a bill of goods by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and by the Bureau of Economic Analysis in terms of the officially calculated CPI. Six or seven percent is not that bad, uh, although, you know, over 15 years, it'll eat up, uh, you know, it'll eat up half your money. Um, it's not the six or seven percent I worry about. It's the 60 percent I worry about. Okay, very good. We're going to
2: take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bill Frieza. Uh, he is the Fellow in Technology and Entrepreneurship at the Competitive Enterprise Institute based in Washington. We'll be back after this.
4: The Business Community's First Choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
1: together in conversations that make a difference right here on the voice america business channel every friday morning at 10 a.m pacific standard time
0: everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand join Rochelle mccrary for the leader and the muse Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level.
5: Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Frezza. He's the fellow in technology and entrepreneurship at the Competitive Enterprise Institute based in Washington. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thank you. If people want to follow uh, your writings and your speaking, uh, is there a website they can go to, or where, where should they find out more about what uh, you do? The easiest thing to do is just
3: go to BillFreser.com and you'll see my columns and interviews, and you could click on the bottom right and uh, and follow.
2: And is there a website for the Competitive Enterprise Institute you should go to? Yes,
3: there is www.cei.org.
2: Very good. Okay, one of the other things you say is a problem out there is the so called innovation economy is stalling. Uh, the rise of regulations and uh, the monetary policy. Describe what the problem is and and what should be done to uh, reinvigorate innovation in the economy.
3: Sure, sure. You know, know, one of the things, and and, and of course now we're getting into an area which which has been my bread and butter for the last 35 years. One of the things that has always sustained us, even through the worst governments and the lousiest legislators, is that we had this thriving economy, and, and, and the United States especially had this innovation economy, that allowed us to grow, that allowed us to power forward, and, and was so productive, so tremendously productive, that even when the money was bled off in taxes, even when we were, we, were, we, were, we were burdened with regulations, we were still good enough to outrun it. And that's what we did starting the Reagan administration. You know, Reagan didn't solve any problems, didn't solve any entitlement problems. They kept getting worse, didn't solve any budget problems. But he did unleash the economy. And the, the, the tremendous spurt of growth we had allowed us to outrun the beast. And so as you make things worse in the fiscal and monetary area, if you don't have the relief valve of innovation, you're going to end up like Europe. And what's happening now in the innovation economy, we have ramped up the regulatory burden so high in market after market, important markets that matter for our growth and where our leadership is. We've added so much monetary risk to investment decisions because – the yardstick by which you measure investment success is now made of rubber, uh, which is a problem. Zero interest rate policy is destroying our capital base. Money is fleeing into non-productive assets, wealth preservation assets, rather than growth fueling assets. Uh, the desire to, to uh, you know, the, the stated desire of Ben Bernanke to force people to take more risks, they are ending up taking risks. Uh, in, in 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 again in non-productive areas. Look at look at what the the biggest companies are doing. The the, the strongest companies in our economy right now are not investing in new technologies. They're not investing in new factories. They're buying their stock back. That's
2: what they're doing with all that money. It's because they think they back. don't have good good investment alternatives. They don't think they're right. going to get a return. Right, and maybe they don't. That's and that's the problem. We are we are killing the goose
3: that laid the golden eggs. You know, you, you know, we, we, we look at investments that we've made in diagnostics and medical devices and we're not, we're not going near that anymore. I mean, you can wake, we woke up one morning, one of our companies, one of our portfolio companies had developed a fantastic, uh, oncology assay that helps oncologists determine which of several chemotherapy agents they should give to a person who has cancer. And we were, we were on our way to an IPO and we wake up one morning and we get a completely spurious no coverage decision from a Medicare bureaucrat. And 60% of our income goes away. That's so very
2: difficult for a small
3: startup to recover from.
1: Uh
2: uh-huh. Let's talk about health care particularly because you have the Affordable Care Act, whether you like it or not, yeah. is being implemented. What is going to be the effect of that on the economy?
3: It's, it's, it, it, on the innovation economy, it's going to be devastating. I mean, you've got to be out of your mind to be investing in that area right now given all the uncertainties. Look at what we've done to the, uh, the special tax on the medical device industry a couple, 3%, not on profits, but on revenue. Who wants to invest in that area? Uh, who wants to invest in, in pharmaceutical companies these days? It's pharmaceutical startups. What are the large pharmaceutical companies doing? I mean, they might, they're shutting down their R&D. They're soaking the wagons back, protecting their brand, and they're milking the, the cash cow. Where are the new medicines supposed to come from in that kind of environment? That's the problem. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, you get this generation of entrepreneurs that are coming up and instead of solving the big, tackling the big problems, go out and cure cancer, you know, go out and find, uh, you know, go out and solve these energy problems that would be, that would be a, a boon if we could figure it out. They're running off and they're doing, you know, Instagram. They're doing, they're doing make a quick buck kind of deals, uh, that, are, that in the long run are not going to produce the productivity improvements that we've that become accustomed to in the past. And they're shuffling money around. That's the scary part. We've we've got to figure out how to reinvigorate that sector of our economy if we want to grow enough to pay the burden that has been left to us by by the mistakes of the past.
2: Of course, the administration would say about the Affordable Care Act that it's going to be a boon to the economy because a lot of people will get health care now that didn't get it in the past and create a lot more demand that will give a lot more revenue to the health care system. Insurance companies will have 30 million new customers they didn't have in the past, so all this new money is going to create all kinds of innovation and a healthier public.
3: It's all coming down around our ears as we speak. I mean, look at what happened to, to the, the latest employment report showed that the only place we're seeing uh, employment growth is in temps and in part-time because companies are trying to avoid the, the tax that's going to come with Obamacare. In fact, they had to, to waive it off. They gave it an extra year because they were definitely afraid and what it would do to the midterm elections. You can't, you can't grow the economy by giving away free stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. The money that you use to pay for that free stuff has to come from somewhere. And when you take it out of that other person's pocket, you reduce their ability to invest and grow. And so it's a complete illusion to think that Obamacare is going to help grow the economy. All it's going to do is create more of a bottomless pit in the federal budget.
2: And how about the Dodd-Frank regulation, the other big uh, legislation we've had here? What is the impact of that on banks? I mean, the, the argument for it was that it's making banks stronger. They've got to have more capital. We'll never have a situation like we had before. Uh, they've stopped too big to fail. Uh, they haven't. Got all they, these, haven't. So they,
3: they haven't. And the capital ratio is still all out of whack in these big banks. You know, part of it is, is how we're counting. I mean, if you look at, if you look at how we're counting their base capital – All the assumptions are, on all of these things, that sovereign debt doesn't go bad. Well, they used to assume that mortgage debt never went bad either, and mortgage bonds couldn't fail, and housing prices couldn't go down, and now they're betting that sovereign debt doesn't go bad. Of course sovereign debt's going to go bad. Look what happened in Cyprus. Cyprus was was a perfect textbook example of what we're going to see rippling across Europe, starting with Greece, going to Portugal, going to Spain, the only thing going to say to the Italians is the fact that 40% of their economy is underground. You know, God bless them. You know, they don't report that stuff. They don't pay taxes. They don't follow labor laws because 40% of it is is, is black market.
2: So let's talk about what happens when those things happen. When you have when Cyprus comes to Greece and uh, Portugal and Spain, uh, what is going to be the impact on the worldwide economy and the euro of all that?
3: Well, you know, the, 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 at some point the German taxpayers and they say no mas. Uh, it's hard to say what the event's going to be. I, 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 uh, I think he studs, this, this diesel boom character that keeps showing up in the, in the news, uh, who, who, who makes the mistake of actually speaking his mind. Eventually, eventually they're going to stop writing checks. And when they stop writing checks, the Greeks are going to totally default. Uh, and when they default, they're going to have to leave the euro. And people are going to wake up and say, well, if Greece can leave the euro, then so can Portugal. And if Portugal could leave the euro, so can Spain. And people are all going to sudden start pricing that in. And you're going to see that you're going to see that the uh, the, the cost of the debt, uh, the sovereign debts of those companies go through the roof. You're going to see the cost of insuring those debts to go through the roof. And what's going to happen is all of the genius rocket scientists quants who built all these fancy models upon which they built all these derivatives, these swap derivatives, are going to find out that this thing called tail risk is going to all of a sudden come hit them in the rear end, and you're going to see the collapse of these of these chains, these these gambling chains. That's going to ripple across Europe. We'll see it there first. You know, we won't, it's not going to happen here first. It'll happen there first. The question is, you know, how long will it take the dominoes to fall? How much time will we have to prepare as the dominoes are going down? And and what what is the Federal Reserve going to do to prop Europe up? Are they going to are they going to throw us into the breach, and take us down with them? Or are they going to be smart enough to pull back?
2: Um, I mean, some would say that what you're, you're you're talking about is a profoundly deflationary event. If you have all these countries being thrown out of the euro, not, yeah, going not back if to the
3: currency, yeah, initially not, but not if you try to solve the problem by printing money, which is where people will go, where we will go to. They will
2: well, try you're to saying solve the problem that,
3: by printing money
2: that Greece would start printing drachmas because they can they don't control the euro now. The European Central Bank isn't going to yeah, do that. You're saying right.
3: they, have to, they I, have to, start printing drachmas, but eventually, eventually, the European Central Bank. It's going to have to stop, start printing euros to monetize the debt. And that's going to happen. what, the if, what if, if they don't? Have lot what what of a, if? A, of, have you, a of problems.
2: Have you say if the Germans don't want to keep supporting this and they don't print money because they're worried about inflation, the Germans remember the Weimar Republic, what, yeah. what happens if they don't go along?
3: They leave the euro. You know, it, it, it may not be just the pigs that leave the euro. You know, one scenario says after Greece leaves the euro, Germany goes next. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting scenario. And the northern, the northern countries try to refence the problem and leave the southern countries to the
2: dogs. Well, maybe there could be a northern euro and a southern euro.
3: Very, yep. People talk about that. People have absolutely talked about that. And then you ask, where does France go? But, you know, it, it, it's, you know they're a mess. Their, their, their economy is going nowhere. You have to be out of your mind to be an entrepreneur in France.
2: So, what are the economic, uh, what are the investment implications of the the collapse of the euro? basically we're talking about. You
3: know, so so again, so again, I think I think the, the, the one two punch that people have to figure out how to protect themselves against are a a vast correction in 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 uh, in, in market prices, both the bottom of the stock market, followed by inflation. In that order, right? It doesn't make sense to be protecting yourself from inflation right now. Um, you have to figure out how do you get there from here. Right now, I think the, the, the smart thing to do, unless, you, unless you're brave enough to be out shorting, which I'm not, the smart thing to do is to go into wealth preservation mode, get in the mattress, get into steal things as much as possible, weather the storm, and then come, come back up at the bunker with an, with an inflation protection strategy.
2: So you're saying there would be big deflation first when all these things happen and yeah, then inflation I'm not, after that? Yeah,
3: I'm not, yeah, I don't know if I – you know, hard, hard to say deflation first, but but certainly correction. Uh, there will be a deflation of asset prices. I don't think I don't think bread is going to get cheaper, um, but asset prices could certainly fall, particularly mispriced assets. Um, assets. And, and, you know, you've got to be smart enough to figure out what's a properly priced asset and what's a mispriced asset. But mispriced assets need to be corrected. I mean, that you know, the, the the reason we're in trouble is because we you, have been preventing those corrective mechanisms from taking place, just like we did in the in the in the uh, in the in the in the, in the, in the, in the home mortgage market for so long. The longer you you stop uh, markets from correcting, the worse it's going to be when they get there.
2: So, so you're they're, saying they're, the bubbles we have today are the stock market and the housing market, basically.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I would. Those would be two places I would look. And it's again, it's everywhere. Even even the even the mortgage meltdown in two thousand two thousand seven two thousand eight. You know, it was it was Florida, it was Nevada, it was uh, uh, California. You know, it it wasn't happening in my neighborhood here in South uh, South End in Boston. I'll tell you that we never saw those kind of declines here because we never saw that kind of speculation.
2: Yeah. Okay. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest today is Bill Frezza. He's a technology and entrepreneurship fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute based in Washington. We'll be back after this.
5: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll free, 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight talking business consultant and author, working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lin. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it
4: America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Frezza. Uh, a technology and entrepreneurship fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, based in Washington. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thank you. One of the big areas that people talk about is quantitative easing. The Federal Reserve, so from their point of view, the economy was too weak uh, to stand on its own after the financial crisis of two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, they've been buying Treasury securities, mortgage-backed securities, eighty-five billion a month. Uh, it's brought a, a, a renaissance to the stock market. The economy's doing well. Unemployment's falling. Uh, Interest rates have stayed low. The housing market's coming back. So what's wrong with this picture? Sounds great. Yeah, the economy's not doing well. The economy is stagnant. Unemployment is not doing well.
3: Uh, If you look at the labor participation rate, it's at uh, it's at 30-year lows. If you look at the the composition of the labor, uh, we're seeing more and more part-timers and more and more temp workers. So, uh, you know, part of that narrative is just not correct. The stock market is certainly higher. The banks are certainly happier. Quantitative easing has been a, a, as a mechanism to please the bankers who have captured the system. Uh, the theory that stuffing all that money onto bank balance sheets was going to lead to lending to productive businesses has not been true. There's something like $2 trillion in excess reserves sitting on balance sheets right now. Half of it on farm balance sheets, that money is not being lent out. What's happening is that money is served as, uh, as a basis for the banking industry to go out and amble in derivatives markets. Uh, and seeing uh, a stock market that has become completely unhinged from reality and unhinged from fundamentals, and every time uh, Ben Bernanke burps, we see you know the Vix go mad and we see all sorts of gyrations. Uh, we know that they're going to have to start weaning us from that. We know that the market's going to correct as a result of that. They're trying to guide this thing into a soft landing, uh, but it's going to be very tricky. There's going to be a change in the guard in January. You know whether it's Yellen or Larry Summers that picks up the reins from Bernanke. Who knows? but there's going to be a discontinuity there. And I'm sure they'll try their best to keep this whole uh, house of cards going until the midterm elections in 2014. Uh, but shortly after that, it's time, I think, to strap on your, on your, on your safety helmet because it things at that point could get completely out of control. All
2: right, well, since the job is coming up in a, a few months here, let's make Bill Frezza the head of the Federal Reserve. No,
3: I, I resign. Uh, what, you know, what would you
2: do? I mean it, though. I, what would you do in the circumstances? I'm going to
3: go on the gold standard tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I look. Here's, here's one of my favorite quotes. You know, back in Shakespeare's time, uh, a one-ounce gold coin bought you a really nice men's suit. Today, a one-ounce gold coin buys you a really nice men's suit. I mean, I don't think you have ever seen a unit of currency as stable and, and, and as, as better able to hold its value over the long periods of time as gold. And, uh, and and thinking you, you, that you can you can uh replicate that with uh, with, with uh, fiat currency uh with, with political animals in charge of the printing press has been wrong every time they tried it. Uh there has never been a fiat currency that hasn't hasn't collapsed. Uh it, you know people get longer runs than others and you know as as Keynes said in the long run we're all dead but uh you know I still plan on living for another 40 years and I can't imagine the dollar lasting that long.
2: So, so what happens when the dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency? What, what takes its place? Hard to say. You know, I, saw, I
3: just saw a news item somebody sent me today that they're talking about uh, 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 Chinese currency trading in, uh, in Vancouver. Uh, I, think, I think China is definitely a country to watch. Yes, they have their own problems. Yes, they have malinvestment out the wazoo. Fortunately, they don't have democracy yet. If they can hold off democracy for another generation, they might have a shot um, but but uh, but what they do have there is growth. What they do have there are people working their butts off. Uh, you're seeing a billion people in Asia coming out of poverty, uh, working their way out of poverty, which is a beautiful thing and a testament to the success of capitalism. And that's what they have going for them right now, is, is that is that willingness to work hard, that willingness to not necessarily consume for today but build for the future and make those investments. Now, they're misallocating it, uh, you know, the Communist Party has, has already consumed all the low hanging fruit, and central planning will no longer work to get their economy to the next level. And a lot will depend on whether they figure that out. Uh, if they do figure that out and they do get through the current uh, uh, correction that's coming, uh, they have their own real estate problems. Um, I would I look would to China for the future reserve currency.
2: So, so China's the most successful in the world right now. Let's go back to Greece for a minute. How do you see things playing out in Greece? We talked about how they won't be able to. Meet their debts, they'll default. They'll be thrown out of the euro. But politically, are there going to be civil war, or kind of how is it all going to play out in Greece? Not only in itself, but how that might be a precursor of what would happen here.
3: Well, I don't. Yeah, I'm half Greek, so I'm actually I'm, I'm in a position where I'm allowed to criticize maybe a little bit more than someone who's a non-Greek. These are hard-headed people. Um, you know, they have a history of violence. Uh, if you look at at, the, uh, at at what happened after World War II. More Greeks were killed by each other. In the Greek Civil War, they were killed by Germans in World War II, um, and and uh, and there's this undercurrent of fascism that's growing now in the country. That's that, that's very very concerning to many people. Uh, that when there's a breakdown of rule of law, that could come when the economy seizes up, you can see the fascist party rising up. They're taking it out on immigrants. Uh, everybody's got to have some despised minority they can blame every, all the troubles, and so the uh, the, you know, the Golden Dawn party over there is, is blaming the immigrants, um, but. You know, the the economy right now, a lot of it's moving to barter. Um, So people are actually rediscovering money, rediscovering moral money in these barter clubs. Uh, It's fascinating to watch people discover what the meaning of money is. I give you a haircut, I get a token, I can use that token to get a bag of groceries. I mean, that's what money is. And they're rediscovering it in Greece. Uh, It'll be be interesting to see how long they can hang on to the euro because all it does is extend their pain. Uh, there'll have to be a, a coalition government that comes in and gets those old drachma plates out, and they'll have to go through an inflation that readjusts the labor rates because after all, you know, Greek labor is not worth what a German laborer is worth, uh, and you can't price them the same in the market. You've got to adjust their labor rates downward. They've got to figure out how to, uh, unfreeze the labor regulations that make it so difficult to start businesses, there, that make it so difficult to sell property there. And they've got to get through it without, without turning the fascists loose. They've got some pretty, pretty challenging problems to solve. Um, if I were there right now, I would do exactly what my grandfather did, which is get out.
2: <laughs> what do you think America might learn from the Greek experience?
3: You know, we're so different. It's hard to say. Uh, you know, we, we have so many strengths. We have so many inherent strengths here in the U.S. that they don't have there. Um, then again, we're so spoiled. We have become such a spoiled people in terms of, what well, we take for granted, you know, we take it for granted that the world owes us a living. We take it for granted that each generation should live better than the generation before. We have forgotten uh, what it's like to uh, to start out poor. I mean, you know, I mean, I, 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 know, I know, I was I was never poor. I, mean, I grew up in a middle class family. But if you look at my tax returns, I occupied every decile of the ten throughout my life. You know, when I graduated from college, I was making nothing. I was in the, I was an absolute bottom. I made it all the way up to the top, and now I'm making my way down again. And you know, people have forgotten that you've, you've got to work your way through the system, and you can't just have it handed to you. These kids that are, the kids that are coming out of college, coddled through their lives, uh, loaded with debt that they've foolishly taken on with a degree that they can't find themselves a job, um, they, are, they are at a supreme disadvantage compared to my grandfather, who got here not even speaking the language and, and with the clothes on his back because he was willing to work. And he was no. willing to put off, and he was willing to strive. And it, frankly, I think it's a, it, you know, our best bet is, is more immigration. Thank God all
2: these Mexicans are coming here. What would we do without them? Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Bill Frieza. Uh, he's the Fellow in Technology and Entrepreneurship at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, Billfreza.com or CEI.org, the Competitive Enterprise Institute's website. Thanks so much for a very provocative uh, talk today, Bill. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks so much. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.
1: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.